Chip Alfred, the team of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is a writer for Rotographs. He writes pro- about prospects for Rotographs, uh, for Bullpen Banter he's written, uh, potentially beyond the box score, potentially. His name is Nathaniel Stoltz. Nathaniel Stoltz has recently contributed some excellent pieces to Rotographs, considering, for example, Texas Rangers prospect Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo hits a lot of home runs. He also strikes out a lot. What Stoltz does in like a 4,000-word manifesto, which which shows some comfort with scouting terminology, uh, he also looks at those aspects of Joey Gallo's skill set and attempts to connect them with what Joey Gallo would potentially look like as a major leaguer. He does a similar thing recently for Bubba Starling. That is Kansas City Royals outfield prospect Bubba Starling. Also Yankees prospect, Yankees pitching prospect Rafael DePaulo connects some interesting observations about DePaulo's capacity for um, holding his velocity or not holding his velocity into later innings and what that might suggest about DePaulo's future as either a starter uh, or a relief pitcher. Above and beyond all that, Stoltz, a very interesting guy, it turns out, getting a master's degree in communications. We discuss, we discussed uh, the very beginning, we discussed the logos and the pathos and the ethos, which is not perhaps uh, necessarily germane to prospect talk. Uh, but I think we can agree that it's all connected. Um, well, uh, let's let's agree, let's agree to agree on that. What is it? It's uh, it's Fangraphs Audio. It features prospect writer Nathaniel Stoltz, and it begins right now. Okay, can you hear me all right? Yeah, you yeah, you sound really good actually. Are you uh do you have a nice setup there? Uh I don't know about nice. Let's just hope it holds up for for the duration of this. Okay, yeah. What do you uh I mean it sounds like you you have a nice mic it sounds like. Do you have a decent mic? I'm just using a headset basically. Oh, you sound great. Yeah, you sound great. You're good. Uh one problem sometimes on the headsets is the the plosive sounds, the p's and the b's. Uh-huh. Uh but uh-huh. you're uh, so far uh, maybe you haven't made it. <laughs> made it plosive, but uh, well, we'll we'll stay away from bees. But you sound good right now, is what I mean to say. Yeah, it's gonna be tough to stay away from bees with Bubba Starling, right? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna do a little. We're gonna do a little Bubba Starling, I guess. Uh, well, yeah. so so that um, so so mostly what I want to do. I mean, I want to I want to touch on uh, some of your recent pieces. There was the the Starling piece, the uh, Raphael De, Raphael Paula, Is that right? DePaula, 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 sure. I, yeah, and, uh, which, whichever one. Joey Gallo, uh, Joey yeah. Gallo. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I wanted to touch on that. I also, I'm interested, um, I, cause I, w- one thing I've liked about all those pieces and, uh, is, is the way that you connect sort of, um, the tendencies of prospects in their present states with, um, what that could possibly mean, sure. um, for their future, for their, for their futures. And I, and I think that that's what prospecting is all about, although I'm not sure, um, if all prospect analysis gets there, and so that I've admired <laughs> that about about you, and and then uh, uh, to the degree that you're willing to talk about it or comfortable talking about it, I'm all, I'm also interested in um, in how you've gotten to where to where you are in terms of like your your interest in prospecting, et cetera. Sure, sure, absolutely. So it's kind just uh, this took is a, took a unique road to to that side of things, so we can definitely talk about that. Okay, yeah. Well, let's. Well, how about we just start that? I mean, it, would, it may be just a minute, or maybe twenty. I don't. I don't really care, honestly. How, how long? I mean, I I I 
I'm getting paid regardless. Like, what's that? What's that? Like I don't I don't listen to podcasts too much. So no, like, how long do, do they typically? How long do, does does these typically go? These uh, I mean, it could be it could be anything. It could be as short as 15 minutes. It could be as long as an hour. Okay. I mean, do what sort of time do you have? Oh, I got I got as much time as you want. Okay. No worries. How? Wait, let's start here. How come you have so much time? Uh, how come I have so much time? Yeah. Um, well, because I'm, I'm a graduate student and today my, my only responsibilities were to be a, a teaching assistant for two classes at eight and nine in the morning, so. Oh, okay. Well, so what are you, uh, what are you assisting on then? I teach, well, I, I'm a teaching assistant, uh, for introduction to public speaking here at Wake Forest. Oh, is that right? Yeah. How'd you get, what, so, so are you a graduate student what then? Yeah, in, in communication. Oh, very interesting. And I'm doing my my thesis for for my master's is going to actually be on uh, the persuasive uh, strategies in the sabermetric movement. Oh, that's interesting. I'm not sure that uh, – listen, I'm not sure that sabermetricians or um, or at least the people who utilize, um, um, I guess, sabermetric ideas are necessarily always a, a, aware of the powers of rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, is that a possibility? Well, I, I think so much of it is 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 logos based, and there's there's the whole how do you establish credibility uh, when you know there, there's that whole dilemma of you know overcoming uh, you know the the whole kind of uh, in your parents' basement kind of stigma, and uh, you know as opposed to like the you know the ex ball players on uh, on broadcasts and what you know and, and sort of finding a way to have your own authority, um, you know. But but I you know obviously it's been I mean, it's it's an ever growing movement. It's it's been successful. So, you know, how exactly has uh, the movement uh, been been successful? You know, and 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 what exactly? Uh, you know, I'm going to be doing a lot of the the rhetorical breakdowns and and looking at how the the discourse changes uh, as the audience is widened and things like that, and also sort of like a, a diffusion of innovations kind of perspective on it. Uh, okay, well, you mentioned uh, logos or logos. That's one of three, I believe, um, sort of major considerations when you utilizing a your yeah. rhetoric, right? It's it's logos, pathos, and and ethos. Ethos, right? Okay. It's credibility, yeah. Right. So so ethos is is sort of like a def, could be like a de facto credibility, right? So when 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 Oral Hershiser makes a comment about pitching, uh, we're more likely to believe it than if Carson Zestuli makes a comment about yeah. pitching. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean that's fact, right? right. But 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 now if we're talking about nerd scores, we know who we're listening to. Yeah, thank you, yeah, thank you. Right, yeah. I have I have a lot of gravitas in, in that in that field. And then and and um and logos is right is is um this of course is related to logic. I, that's the Greek yeah. for word, right? Right, right, right. And which is a, a helpful mnemonic device because that just reminds us that um we're looking, we're paying attention to to the logic of the argument itself uh, apart yeah. from the whoever's making it. Right, which is so much, of course, of, 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 I think where sabermetrics derives its success from is, you know, just the inherent logic of it and, and then also sort of the predictive, the, the sort of retrospective predictions that, that sometimes, uh, you know, that, that you look back five years ago and you say, well, you know, here are these people who said this was going to happen and it did. And so that sort of lends, uh, you know. The Ryan Howard contract. Yeah, the Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> There's a perfect example. Is that, I mean, that's fair to say, right? And that, yeah. I mean, he fell apart. Um, well, that's, and, that's that whole old player skills, Bill James. Right, kind. right. And, and and it's interesting you mentioned that because Bill James, 
a ferocious uh, um, supporter of logos or logos. Yeah, yeah, logos as a as an instrument as opposed to ethos. He thinks he doesn't he um, it, he's disgusted by the by the concept of experts. Yeah, yeah, and I guess you'd, it would have to make sense. That would that would have to be almost. Uh, I mean, not taking away from Missouri, but but that would have to be the point of view you'd have to take if you're an outsider. Yeah. And then uh, pathos or pathos. That's the capacity of of a um, of the rhetorical work to elicit emotion, emotion in, yeah. in in the reader or whatever consumer of it. Which I, comes less into play with with sabermetrics, obviously. I think it seems like it. Well, I don't know how. What's the situation in which it, in which it would be effective, or or, or is it just you mean it's sabermetrics or just in general? Well, no, it's sabermetrics, I guess. They're making a sabermetric mm-hmm. argument. I don't know. Well, well, we could table that. I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, <laughs> but you're right. It doesn't doesn't seem like. It. Now, here's a question about now the the, the role of uh, logos or logo. What's what? How can we? What are you saying? How do you say it? I I'll go with you. I say I say logos. That's that's what most professors of communication okay, all right, say. Yeah, because I get hung up on the the. I always want to I want to flex my Greek muscles. Um, well, I'm half Greek, so. Oh, okay. Well, we, well, we can get to that too, because Stoltz is not a Greek name, I don't think. No, no, it is it is my mother's side of the family. <laughs> okay, yeah, all right. Well, we'll get to that momentarily. But and do they say ethos as well? Yeah, yeah. So so here's a question: Do you think that? Um, and this is already miles away from where from where I mentioned we were going to be, but this is this is exciting for me right now. And listen, I'm not so special, Nathaniel Stoltz. I'm not so special <laughs> that if something's interesting to me, it probably won't be interesting to someone else. Or the, the the positive side of that is I'm not that special. If something's interesting to me, it probably will be something to, uh, interesting to someone else. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I'm not that, I'm not that special. Literally, my no, no, you did come up with nerd scores, man. I mean, well, let's let's give credit where credit's due. I think just by the fact that the one thing to which you can point is nerd scores. Um, well, there's it, that. There's there's the Fringe Five, which is always awesome. I, I think I actually think the Fringe. You know who I was just looking at right now was Ryan Brett. You know Ryan Brett? He's a second baseman in the Rays organization. Oh, that's very good. Nathaniel Stoltz. If I, 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 I'm scoring right here. I'm scoring at home. If uh, you know, <laughs> broadcasters always say that if you're scoring at home, I am scoring at home. You have two points. All right. Yeah, that's good. That's more points than literally every other guest has gotten. So I've never <laughs> had to score at home before. That's that's where you are. But I'm glad you know Ryan Brett. Yeah, Ryan Brett did make an appearance, and uh, um, shortly, or uh, not too much later this afternoon, I'll be putting up. Um, well, it's not this afternoon, I guess, right? It's uh, it's just 11 where you are on the east coast of the United States. I'll be doing, um, be posting an entirely premature uh, statistical report on the Arizona Fall Lake. Ah. <laughs> and you, I'm sure you'll know why that's entirely premature. I I would, considering they opened, I believe, yesterday. Yesterday, correct? right. Yes. Yeah, right. Yesterday, yeah. So it's very, very premature. But I'm so excited about it is the point. And so I want to, I'm not in Arizona. I don't have video of any of it. So the one way to participate is just, is really by looking at what people did in the first game and then looking you know going a little lower than that at least looking at the fielding independent stuff but that's all you could do it's mostly uh yeah well the other thing you can do is you can look at the tweets of people who are there but that's about you know that's about as far as you can get that's as far I mean, as that, you can get I, I mean as far as like people were saying alex meyer hit 100 miles an hour yesterday and stuff like that that's better than lower that's better than fewer miles per hour <laughs> right i mean it's better 100 is better than the alternative if the alternative yeah. is lower 
Yes, yes, it is. Okay, so with regard to ethos mm-hmm. and the saber, what we what what we'll call loosely the sabermetric movement. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that it lends credibility, and not necessarily to everyone's eyes, but to a certain sort of baseball fan? Does it <clears throat> does it lend credibility to uh, again what we're loosely referring to as the sabermetric movement? If, for example, um, um, Glenn Perkins says these are important numbers, or if Max Scherzer says these are important numbers, or if very talented former pitcher David Cohn says these are important numbers. Well, I, I think I think it does. I mean, uh, you know, in 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 some respect, I think you know one of the things that that you can kind of get entrapped in is you know, what exactly you're talking about. And, and, and like you just said, with you're, you're sort of very broadly defining the movement. Not all sabermetrics people agree on what exactly you should be looking at all the time. Um, but just in, in general, I, I think it, it does wonders for the concept of, of those individual statistics, um, you know, entering more of a, a mainstream discussion, whether that extends to a lot of uh, the casual fans and casual viewers suddenly you know reinventing themselves as sabermetric analysts like like those of us at fangraphs uh, purport to be um you know i i think that's sort of another question and i'm not sure exactly uh what the mechanisms behind that are you know i, I still have a lot of research to do <laughs> on, on on this topic you know i'm just kind of starting in on it now but uh, it's it's certainly it's there's a lot of potential interactions of 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 these mechanisms and I'm excited to see what connections exist and, and, and what, uh, what exactly has gone on. Now, uh, listen, with regard to the, the idea of, of pathos being utilized in terms of, um, how, how the sabermetric movement is diffused, uh, dispersed to the people. Uh, do you think that, for example, one of the things that made Moneyball successful was that, it told the story of players who were otherwise neglected, um, and this is a sort of person for whom for whom I, we cheer, I think, uh, involuntarily. But like with Chad Bradford, for example, am I thinking of Chad Bradford? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Chad Bradford was like a nothing pitcher um, because he did not throw um, 100 miles per hour like Alex Meyer. Um, <laughs> He threw what? He threw like 86 or something, and and uh, as a submariner, or yeah. roughly a submariner. And um, but the numbers were the thing that recommended him to uh, Billy Bean, et, et cetera, and and other people in the A's organization. So perhaps this is like the emotional face of the sabermetric movement. Well, sure. I think I think that where w- the one side of of the movement that that does sort of invoke that is that, and, and this is an argument I've I've gotten in with some of the rhetorical scholars um, before, is that uh, you know it does it does have social implications in the sense of you you know you're reclassifying and reassessing which players are the interesting players and which players are the good stories. You know, so many so many critics of sabermetrics say that it removes sort of the the heart and soul of, you know, the the improbable stories and the grit and the toughness and the hustle and the, you know, hashtag want and and what have you. And I think that, you know, with sabermetrics it's not so much that you're removing the stories as you you might just actually be assigning them 
to a, a different group of players than the old school Hawk Harrelson crowd, you know, the will to win kind of deal might, might necessarily point out to you. Um, so it, it's just sort of reassigning where exactly those underdog stories come to life, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. I, well, I, I know that's what it, that was always exciting. Of course, I, I grew up in, uh, New England and mm-hmm. was very excited that that club had Kevin Euclid. And for me, it was in the numbers that, I was, uh, it was because of the numbers uh, with Kevin Nuclis, and I would even say even more so with Mark Bellhorn, who was very mm-hmm. helpful for the, the 2004 iteration of the Boston Red Sox. It was partly the numbers that made him exciting, I thought, because there was like this whole untold story about how he was valuable above and beyond certainly what he appeared to be to, you know, you could say 29 other organizations, and yet he was, yeah. uh, he was integral to that Red Sox team. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so there, so QED, Nathaniel Stoltz. Do you get to end any of your speeches like that, or oh, how about uh, dropping the mic as a rhetorical technique? <laughs> Do you practice that? I, I I have not practiced that, but it is effective, uh, right? As long as you've really uh, delivered a last uh, a stirring last line. Yeah. Well, we we don't teach that in introduction to public speaking. We 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 teach a more traditional kind of standard closed ending. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe maybe if I TA'd for advanced public speaking, then that would be. <laughs> well, uh, I believe, if, if I'm not mistaken, it's imperative that one learns the rules before, uh, so that one can break the rules effectively. That's right. Is that right? I I, I mean that's uh, that's certainly something that that I would say applies to to my writing anyway. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, breaking uh, rhetorical rules and also people's eyes, let's turn our attention to your piece on Joey Gallo. Yeah. Yeah. A um, uh, clocking in at a modest four thousand words. I think it's about forty four hundred. Yeah, forty four hundred. Okay. Four, forty four hundred and eighteen video embeds. In, in <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but drew some uh, drew some excellent praise. I saw from John Sickles though on minor league ball. Yeah. Uh, he was very excited about it. And that's I think that you know he's been in the game for a while, um, and he's uh, he's no stranger to. Uh, um, uh, I guess to to the humanities and the power of rhetoric. So there you are. That's that's not <laughs> there bad. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so the Gallo piece I thought was important. Um, okay. So you, let's let's state your basic concern, which is um, well, I'll state it poorly, and then you state it better. Okay. Uh, Joey Gallo, uh, a third base prospect, probably a third base prospect in the Texas system. Has massive power, also has ma- massive contact issues. What what do you have to say about that? And in, in, uh, upon and how would you build on it? Uh, how would I build on on, on what specifically about it? I don't the, know. My characterization. My characterization. If we're going to be attacking Joey Gallo here, not attacking it, but attacking the Joey Gallo situation. Oh um, well, yeah. I mean, he he has just absolutely unbelievable power. I mean, you know, I saw. Uh, you know, I, I don't have an exact number on it, but I saw, you know, 80 to 90 games this summer. I saw 36 different teams and, uh, you know, a lot of guys who can, who can hit the ball out of the ballpark. And there was nobody who, who held a candle to, to Joey Gallo in terms of raw power output. I mean, the guy hit 40 home runs as a teenager despite missing a month of the season with an injury. I mean, it's, it's just historic. The numbers he, he put up as far as the power and it's, uh, you know, and he has absolutely the kind of thunder in his bat to to back up those numbers. Um, but you know, on, on on the flip side of that, you have a 37% strikeout rate, and uh, you know, the number of people who struck out 37% of the time 
at, at age 19 and went on to do anything basically is one and his name's Russell Brannion. Um, and, and so obviously, you know, while strikeouts have, have trended up historically. And so, you know, there, there isn't that much precedence for, for these levels of strikeouts in general. And that's obviously a very, very worrying sign. And, uh, you know, to, to kind of, abbreviate the, the the points of the piece which which is very very long <laughs> you know uh joey gallo uh I, the primary issue really is that his swing is is really really long um you know he's got uh, a massive uh bat load that, that i point out in his swing where he's basically pointing the bat towards second base um which just you know, you don't have to be a, a swing expert to know that if you're pointing the bat towards second base, you have to rotate it 270 degrees to get to the ball. And, you know, as opposed to if you have it basically, uh, you know, in line with your head, then you have to rotate it 180 degrees to get to the ball. So you're essentially adding, you know, an extra half a swing on that horizontal plane, which, you know, really compromises your ability to get around on on fastballs and if if you watch some of the videos there you'll see a lot of persistent issues with him getting around on fastballs particularly ones on the inner half uh and so he he just has a really really difficult time uh having any consistency in making contact on those pitches um so wait so, so is, if he stopped listen if he stopped we, we were talking about his his load right his yeah. his 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 bat his swing load yeah now if Joey Gallo stopped pointing his bat at second base as the pitcher is throwing the ball, mm-hmm. um, he might make more contact. Would he hit fewer home runs? Well, that's a, that's a good question, and you know that's sort of you know you, that's one thing that I always am, am kind of cautious of in in my pieces is is saying like, well, if he makes adjustments A, B, and C, he'll be fixed, um, because it's sort of like the the hitter version. Of- Ah, yeah. You were saying though, uh, yeah, and that just actually happens here. Sometimes the internet goes away. Ah, yes. Um, so you were saying it's it's sort of like the hitter version of yeah. Well, we can just uh, start there. I mean, no one's gonna mind. Come on, yeah. People, okay. It, it, if well, if it, listeners it, mind, stop, get off your high horse, people. <laughs> why is it, your what? Why is your horse so high to begin with? <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. Who needs it a is. horse that big? Anyway, go um, ahead. yeah, the, the, so the uh, the it, hitter version of it, it's the hitter version of like if if you have a pitcher who's throwing ninety seven and you you but with a violent delivery and you straighten out his delivery, does he start throwing eighty seven? Um, what, what's the answer? Well, it, it, you have to see what the pitcher throws. You have you have to wait and, and, and kind of see. Um, but my my instinctual response to the question of will Joey Gallo kind of lose his power with with, with uh, a cut down load on the swing is. He can, if there's any batter in baseball that can afford to lose, you know, 20, 30% of his power, it's Joey Gallo. Uh, you know, it's, he, he's just so far beyond everybody else that, you know, that's at his level that, you know, even if, you know, he goes from being a potential like 55 homer guy to a potential 35 homer guy in exchange for cutting, you know, 8, 10% off that strikeout rate, that, that's probably a trade-off that, uh, that, that you do. Um, what do we know? Because- yeah. So, what do we know about? Um, well, you know, and may- maybe because because there are only so f- you know there are only so many teenagers who are playing a ball, I guess, right? Or right. Ha- have played a ball. And so, when you look at that strikeout rate, you say, well, okay, how many teenagers who played a ball 
um, and struck out 37% of the time. And it's on, Russell Brannion, and that's that's all there is. <laughs> right. There's only Russell Brannion. But, but if you look at how, you know, how many teenage, teenagers have had that sort of power as well uh, in A-ball at age 18, that's also – I'm gonna guess uh, not totally unprecedented, but uh... Uh, well, it's it's. I mean, he was two, I think, away from the South Atlantic League home run record, which was set by Russell Brannion. Right. Uh, so you're dealing you know. with you're, you're not really dealing with a situation, right, where you could say one way or the other, given this uh, these these certain baselines, uh, whether he's going to be a major leaguer or not. Right. You can't you can't really project it from. The numbers, because there just isn't a big enough sample size of, of comparable players. I mean, you can you can say, well, Russell Brannion did it, so maybe he can be Russell Brannion, and that's a fairly you know a fairly applicable broad comparison between the the skill sets of those players. Um, you know, and and I, I would say it's it's a fair sort of baseline mid range expectation to think, well, maybe he can be that sort of sporadic second division slugger who has the occasional big year. You know, whether you want to cite Brannion or Carlos Pena or Jack Cust or, you know, who, who, whichever hitter in that category you want to go with, uh, you know, but my basic conclusion was, you know, if he makes all the adjustments that I sort of outlined that, that, that are possible, then, you know, he has obviously immense upside. Um, and if he doesn't make any of them, then, you know, he'll probably strike out over 40% of the time when he hits the upper minors and never really be able to showcase his power against upper level pitching. Uh, but then, you know, if he makes some improvements, we can probably look at him in, in probably that sort of, you know, wandering uh, slugger sort of sort of template. Now, now, the, now the thing is, right? It, the thing that is different about Joey Gallo than uh, Jack Cust, for example, than Carlos Pena, uh, not necessarily different than than Russell Brannion, is Joey Gallo at least nominally can play third base and. Right. The offensive requirements of third base are considerably different than they are at first base by by about ten runs, I think. Yeah. Um, and so well, maybe more than ten runs, maybe fifteen runs. So the point, well, the point is, if Joey Gallo is a passable third baseman or an average third baseman, then he then um, there's a there a lot less will be asked of his bat. That was that's that's one thing, for example, that let Mark Reynolds, I think, stick around right. longer. Than he maybe otherwise would have because he could you could put him at third base now. Right. Mark Reynolds was not fantastic at third base. Russell Brandon ended up probably not being very fantastic at third base. Right. Tell me what you know about Joey Gallo at third. Um. Well, you know he he entered the year. I mean he's he's six five, uh, probably about two hundred and fifteen, two hundred and twenty pounds. You know he entered the year with this sort of you know may, maybe it's the curse of being a power guy who who's that size but he entered the year with the sort of reputation of he's going to have to move to first um but you know over the course of of the year you know it it really became apparent that he he uh he was making some plays at third uh you know kind of battled it to a draw by by uh a ball third baseman standards you know he he's a guy who hit in the mid 90s off the mound is is a high schooler and he brings that that really good arm uh, to third base, but what what I was impressed with most about him over there was that you know he he doesn't uh, like like a lot of third basemen who you know a lot of teenage third basemen really try to just show off their arm and make a lot of plays and they you know try to throw a lot of balls that they have no business throwing when the runner's already at first and and things like that that just turn into compound errors and and whatnot and you really don't see much of that with Gallo he he plays very under control he plays very smart um you know and, and he 
gets the most out of the athleticism that he has. Um, and, and, and so I came away, you know, after seeing him, uh, I think it was 14 times over the course of the year. Uh, by the end of the year, I came away thinking, you know, this is somebody who can probably, uh, if his conditioning holds up and he doesn't balloon up to 250 pounds or so, uh, you know, he can probably uh, hang around at third, you know, into his late 20s, you know, like a, like a Mark Reynolds or, uh, or, or Russell Brannion. Uh I don't know if he's ever going to be an average uh, defender there, but, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, maybe about uh, – a minus five run a year kind of kind of guy over at third, uh, you know, up until he starts nearing his thirtieth birthday, where you know he'll probably start to lose some of his athleticism. See, I, I like what you've done there, Nathaniel Stoltz, which is to just to have a number, right? To have yeah. a number, not to say that this is definitely what's going to be, but when we're considering prospects, and even as prospects as young as Joey Gallo, it's at least to, to establish a baseline or a possibility of what could happen. Putting a number. Now you're saying perhaps uh, a negative five at third base. Was that what you said? Yeah. So in third base is uh, you know over 150 games is a plus two and a half. So that's uh, you know that's close to an even defender, but maybe more like negative two or three over the course of yeah. the season. Right. So that's an, that's putting a number on it. That's see, which, which is very different from from a Jack Custer. You know, if you, if you want to compare him to the guy who struck out 37 percent of the time this year in the majors, Chris Carter. You know, or, or somebody like that who really struggles, which is, you know, that's as, as you said, it's going to give him more leeway. Right. Yeah. So because if we say that if if we say that the Gallo is negative two or three, well, Carter's probably what negative twelve or thirteen, and maybe even more. Yeah, I don't know exactly what he was this year. Right, but uh, I mean, a first baseman's going to be twelve or thirteen below. Yeah. So that's a yeah. win. That's a win difference. That's a big deal. Right. And that's why, you know, like when you deal, if you want to go, you know, um, I mean, another example would be like Chris Young, for example. Right. Chris Young, the center fielder, Mm -hmm. is that uh, Chris Young has this sort of extreme skill set. It doesn't sound like he has anything like the power that Joey Gallo does. But the point being, there are certain positions where you might look at it at a player and say, well, he's got these offensive holes. Uh, Yeah, well, but those offensive holes always have to be considered within the context of uh, the position he'll be playing and how well he plays that position. Right. Absolutely. Let's not forget that, Stoltz. Yeah. You're not forgetting it. I'm not forgetting it. Okay. Let's talk about uh, uh, Bubba Starling. One of the things you say with regard to Bubba Starling, and this is, of course, the Royals uh, – what is he, an outfield prospect? We call Center him field, a, yeah. Center yeah. field prospect. Um you also said this with regard to him. You say if he um, he's got some some difficulties, he's got some uh, some some conspicuous flaws. But yep. if you fix him, he'll be an all star. And if he doesn't, he'll be what? Maybe Justin Maxwell was the idea. Yeah, that sort of you know tools laid in center fielder that never quite figures out how to hit more than about two forty. So I say you know Justin Maxwell, Drew Stubbs, you know Cameron Maybin, those sort of you know, guys who who kind of like you, you just were talking about, the guys who are at, at this premium position, so even though they never quite find their offensive upside, they still have value just due to the athleticism and the positional value. Yeah, so so what do we know about and so first of all with regard to Starling, what are the what are those adjustments? Um the really with him it's uh very swing based. Uh is as, as opposed to Gallo who not only has uh the, the swing uh, issues but has uh, issues with with some plate discipline and, and 
swing accuracy and some other things. Um, but, but with Starling, you know, he's, uh, it's a different kind of loading mechanism than what, uh, Gallo uses, but he's also got, uh, sort of a, a very pronounced load where he draws his hands, uh, very back into him, uh, and, and behind him. Almost kind of, uh, what they call like a bat wrap or, or a hitch in the swing. Um, and, uh, he, he really struggles also to, uh, you know, adjust to, to, uh, balls on different planes. Uh, so very much uh, somebody who can be fooled by just moving the ball around in different locations. Um, others have pointed out, uh, I know Mike Newman wrote an article about him, uh, a year before I did. And, and somebody also commented, uh, on, on my piece talking about how stiff his arms are through the swing, how he, how he locks his front arm through. Um, so, so there, there are a number of, uh, issues that make his swing sort of very mechanical. He also doesn't use his lower half very well for, for a guy who has a lot of raw power, so he doesn't drive the ball. He tends to roll over the ball. Um, you know, so, so it's, it's largely a swing mechanics issue. Um, that, that it's sort of a very stiff swing and he, and he doesn't adjust well to different, uh, types of pitches and it also has uh you know length in the swing which compromises his ability to get around on the ball. So what do we know uh what do we know about things like eliminating bat wrap, right? Or or his his sort of uh, kind of ugly load or yeah. or perhaps utilizing his legs better or as what you're saying is adjusting to um to to pitches in different parts of the zone. What do we know about uh, you know, what are your observations about the the ways, the degree to which uh, prospects are able to adjust these things? Well, you know, I, I think so much of it, uh, you know, and, and and it's sort of another discussion entirely, and and not one that I'm I'm all that qualified to partake in. But you know, one has to wonder what the role of of you know hitting coaches in the in the minors are, and I know you know some hitting coaches are much more hands on than others, um, but certainly you know. Uh, there, there is with somebody like Starling, who was a multi-sport star in high school and and is still young and still adjusting um, to the professional game. This, you know, this was his first full season. Um, you know, there, there's certainly the potential for um, you know for some some adjustments. Now, you know, the question again is, you know, you can give him a pretty swing, you can force him to to, to have a nice pretty swing, but you know. Is he, you know, is his body going to be fully sort of kinetically there with that? Uh, you know, can he really sort of make it his own uh, and and make all of his tools kind of play through those mechanics? Um, you know, it's it's always sort of a, a tough thing to to say with that, and uh, you you can't always uh, pr- predict it. But certainly, there there's the potential for the player to do. Uh, what you're, what you're telling him. I was just watching, uh, in fact, uh, last week there was, uh, Jason Cole, who's one of the, uh, baseball prospectus writers, had a, posted a video of, of Joey Gallo in instructional league. And you could see that Joey Gallo had reduced that load in his swing because it was instructional league. It was, it was the, you know, it was the off season. There's no pressure to, uh, you know, accumulate stats. And so obviously the coaches are having him work on, you know, eliminating that flaw. You know, whether he then shows up next year in games and is confident in, in, in his swing that way or not is another question entirely and we'll answer it next year. Um, but, but I, th- I think there's, there's certainly the potential for the players to make those adjustments. Um, but it's, it's up to the coaches to, you know, actually have, you know, the, 
the initiative uh, to tell a player to do something differently. Um, you know, they, they have to feel that that's necessary, and then the player has to internalize it. That's you see that that to me is, and I'll, and I'll just share from my own experience, and this this may be valuable or may not be, but I know that um, you know this year, spending some time in some clubhouses, right? Mm-hmm. I got a sense uh, uh, above and beyond. I think in a big way, uh, what one is able to sort of derive about player personalities from you know uh, the way you would absorb them otherwise through you know brief interviews through. Um, you know, their demeanor in the field or at the plate mm-hmm. or on the mound. And I will say that it, it was incre- it was very eye-opening for me and, and humbling um, in terms of in terms of what I knew or what I thought I knew about baseball, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. you, you could see here, like I could see, you know, I won't mention any players by name because that's sort of the deal with that, right? But I'd be like, right. oh, that's how that guy behaves uh, with his peers, you know, or and I think with the media is less important. Some guys are very, very good with the media. Now, now are you talking about major league players here? Yeah, in this case, I am. Or, yeah. or okay. uh, you know, I went into some clubhouses. Uh, I think maybe just after the the call up, so there were minor leaguers around. But the point being that that you you just it's hard. It's like information that once it's in front of you, you say, oh, of course, you know, of course, this is so easy. How come I didn't know this? But it's not something that. That you can necessarily learn about otherwise. It's hard to get, as an as an analyst, and maybe it's something you don't. It's hard to get uh, a, a close up view of a player in terms of trying to get a sense of his makeup. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, my my exposure to that is, you know, one one of the things you get a lot in the, in the minor leagues, uh, particularly if you sit in the in the general scouting section, which I I do when I when I go see games, is you know a lot of the times there are pitch charters around, uh, you know, the, the starting pitchers that that aren't pitching that day, uh, and sometimes you know you, you can have a conversation with them. Uh, which, you know, gives me some insight both into, you know, sometimes the individual players or, you know, I'll ask the pitchers about other pitchers on the team and what exactly they're doing. Or, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll you know, have a conversation about, for example, what the role of, of, of coaches are and, and things like that. Uh, but then the question is, you know, when you when you get a sense of that makeup, re- regardless of, of how exactly you get that sense, you know, how exactly do you use that information? Um, you know, because you can't... Uh, you can't really quantify it. You can't really say, well, I think this guy has great makeup, so he is therefore going to, you know, in- improve his, you know, his this pitch by this much or he'll improve this stat by this much or whatever. Um, and, and so while it's it's interesting data and it's and it, and it lends interesting context uh, to the, the full picture of a player. Uh, sometimes it's it's really difficult to know exactly what to do with that information. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the time what you'll see me do in my articles is, you know, I try to, to, to shy away from these sort of, well, I think this player will be a, you know, star or second division or just a or, organizational player. I'll say, look, you know, here are the potential avenues for improvement. You know, here here's what happens, like, you know, like we've been talking about with both Starling and Gallo, um, you know, this, this is the ultimate ceiling if this player is able to, you know, tap into his full potential. This is the, the lowest, uh, you know, scenario if he's not able to really make any improvements from here. Uh, and, and here's sort of the middle ground, uh, which is probably the safest bet to, to, to make. Uh, you know, so I try to keep things fairly relativistically minded, which mm-hmm. I, I feel like 
a lot of prospect writers, I feel like most people think about it that way, but for whatever reason, I feel like a lot of prospect writing, maybe it's for the sake of headlines or, you know, uh, you know, just catchy tags or whatever. I feel like there's, there's definitely a tendency in prospect writing to put real definitive labels on players. Yeah, uh, well, I would say there's a, I would say there's a, and, and this does not excuse that, but I say there's a pressure to do that because yeah. uh, people want to know. Yeah. You know, especially if you're, uh, if you're a Royals fan. Um, do you want to know? You want to know what Bubba Starling's going to do? Yeah. You know, and uh, it's uh, it's not always uh, it's not always possible to know this. So yeah. Uh, I don't know. We could talk. I say with regard to DePaula, who you wrote about as well, Rafael DePaula, the uh, the Yankees, what the right-handed prospect in the Yankees yeah. system. Yeah. One thing you did there was, again, this is another thing that sort of stood out to me, and this is on the pitching side, so it's a little bit different and than what we've already discussed, is you yeah. say uh, – because I, I think he sat maybe – what was it, like 92 to 94 or something through four or five innings? He was 91 to 94 through three, and then in the fourth and the fifth, he was 88 to 92. Right, and that, and that's that's a that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Right, and you point this out, and, if, and I think you could probably – if you look at, uh, you know, the rough correlations between velocity and, and ERA or, you know um, – you look at you look at pitchers who who average. I think you, the number you sort of isolated was ninety two point five, which is you know DePaula roughly for, through those first three innings. And then if you look at pitchers who average ninety one, uh, or pitchers who have ninety two point five, and then maybe in the next season they throw ninety one, there's a big difference. Right. Well, and the other thing is, you know, if you're talking about it specifically in the mechanics of tiring out through a game, you know, pitchers tend to do worse the second time through the order. So if you're also having diminishing stuff the second time through the order, then one would expect, you know, even worse numbers the second time through the order, which would then point toward a relief ceiling as opposed to a starting one. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. So above and beyond just the natural, the the I guess the opposition's ability to adapt to whatever it is the pitcher's throwing. Um, you also have above, above and beyond that uh, an element of fatigue, um, which would uh, exacerbate uh, exacerbate those yeah. difficulties for the pitcher. Yeah, that's that's smart. Wait, do you go by Nathaniel all the time? I do. Yeah, you do. Wow, Nathaniel Stoltz. Stoltz. I'll just call. I'm going to call you. Does anyone go with Stoltzy? Is that like uh, like you've been around Ron Gardenhire at all? Uh, a, a couple of people have called me that. It's it's not something I get, I get often. I don't mind it, but uh, if you were on yeah. a baseball team, you'd be Stoltzy immediately. I, I would. I would. Yeah. I would. So how'd you get to? Uh, I'm done with all that baseballs. How'd you get to? How'd you get to writing about prospects? How did what? I get to writing about prospects? Um. I mean, I don't well, want like I don't want like a real time you know review of it, but you know, generally speaking, come on. Well, you know, what, what always interested me about baseball, uh, you know, what really kind of got me I- into it is, is sort of my my biggest passion to analyze is, you know, how uh, for, first of all, um, how big the player universe is. You know, I mean, you you can never know about all the players that, that are in professional baseball. There's just too many of them, um, and and you know that there's a forty round draft every year where more come in. Um, and then, and then international yeah. guys, and then, and then yeah. whoever the Braves decide to sign as an undrafted free agent, that'll be a that, that's right. picture next year. <laughs> that's right. Um, wait, do you know who Teoscar? I'm gonna say a name. Teoscar Hernandez. Do you know that player? 
I think I've heard that name. Yeah, see, but this, this my point is that's how large the player universe is. <laughs> I just want to <laughs> bring up a player and just say his name. Yeah, and see. yeah. Well, that's, oh, yeah. you know, it's one. Th- it's one thing about scouting specific leagues too, is you start to 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 just focus in on the players that you see, and 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 the other ones sort of wash out. Um, but you know, so so the first thing was was the the big player universe, and the second thing, obviously, is is the high variability of career paths. I mean, baseball is the one sport that. You know, we have these precise sabermetric evaluations, and yet a player can make one small mechanical change uh, and render all of the statistics we have on them to that point totally meaningless. You know, I mean, whether you know whether you want to look at R.A. Dickey, you know, as an extreme example of that of just totally reinventing himself, or you know, pitchers that develop cutters, or you know, hitters that you know suddenly, I mean, like Ben Zobrist when he went from just a slap hitter to you know like a 25 homer guy in one year. Um, or, or, you know, or uh, of course, Jose Bautista. Jose Bautista. Entirely different. Yeah. You know, I mean, so there's, there's, you know, and it's the only sport that you, you could have a rookie of the year who stays healthy after his rookie season, but then immediately declines. You know, Angel Barroa or you know whoever you want to cite. Um, and so it, it's always really intrigued me that you have all of these players and uh, and you can never quite know exactly what's going to happen to them. Whereas I, I feel like in other sports you can get a much more definitive handle on the player universe all the time. And so, you know, the fact that you always have to work to be right uh, in baseball analysis is, is something that really always kind of attracted me to it. Um, you know, so so I, I always was interested in the minors. Um, for a while I wrote about them from just pretty much a purely statistical perspective. Uh, you know, when I was in college, I didn't really have the means to go to any minor league games around me. Um, but you know, over over doing that for a, a few years, I I really started to see the limitations of that you know you make prospect lists, you make predictions, and you know sometimes the guys the numbers love and and the and the scouts hate pancake, and you go well, I guess the scouts saw something, you know, or, or vice versa. Um, and so you know this this past year and a half, I really dedicated myself to to doing a lot more in person viewing, and it's been kind of a fascinating. Uh, journey to go from sort of this very objective sabermetric perspective uh and 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 then going and seeing you know the the players from a subjective visual perspective and seeing exactly you know how those two elements of the analysis interact wait wait, so where are you from uh i am from the dc area i i live in north carolina now because i'm going to wake forest for my master's but yeah, I know. You live in the same town as Dave Cameron. I do. I have not met Dave, but I, I definitely should before I leave. In, you in know how summer. I think of it is Dave Cameron hasn't met you. That's how I'm going to think of it from now on. <laughs> Does that make you feel – I mean is that – that's how it should be. That, that, <laughs> Dave Cameron needs to get get off his – he needs to get off his high horse. And get over, why do he have that, such a big horse? There you uh, go. Yeah. People have the gigantic horses wherever you are. And, yes. Uh, they need to. They need to get off them. You're from the D.C. area, huh? I look at your pictures on the internet. You got this uh, beard, and sometimes you have long hair. Do you? What do you have right now? I just had. I. Uh, I. I had long hair in undergrad. Uh, I. I don't have it anymore. Okay. I. I do have a beard right now. Yes. I mean, how do you feel about your beard? Is it wor- working for you? Or? It's working for. Well, you know, that's the thing about when 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 you're a teaching assistant. And and you're 23 years old, and you're teaching people who are often juniors and seniors in college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 22. You want to look older than them. I got gotcha, you. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> mm-hmm. so so I rock the beard for for generally that purpose. Yeah, just to state that yeah, you know, I am a man. 
I, I am a man. I am a That's man. That's right. And you seem uh, – you look t- – are you tall? You seem tall. Six feet tall. Yeah, that's pretty decent height. Yeah. I know that uh, – I don't know if you've talked with any of your female colleagues about this, but I know that um, it was a huge event. Facial hair was part of it, but just um, also being tall, I had some um, female colleagues who were short, and they had to – it was difficult for them, actually. I don't know if this is ever – well, this, this actually might be uh, a consideration in terms of public speaking as well, but having a physical presence is an unfair – uh, advantage, but it's an advantage nonetheless. Hmm. Have you ne- uh, never never really thought of that? But <laughs> well, no, but it was true. I had well, yeah, um, female colleague named Natalie who was only maybe five foot four, and uh, she had to. She felt, uh, and I guess probably you know, I mean, I trust her that she had to have a particularly professional air as a teacher, and that if she was uh, too casual, that she would immediately be eaten alive. Um, I, I could see that. Yeah. Whereas I, whereas I know that for me, uh, um, I was uh, had a casual demeanor in class frequently, and uh, um, it didn't. Uh, it, the class didn't seem to suffer for it um, because I think I could maybe assert myself when needed because I was taller than a bunch of people. Ah. And uh, I guess man, I don't know. It's not fair. I don't know if you know this. There's gender inequity. You heard about that before? Uh, just, no, never, never come <laughs> up. Yeah, there's some gender inequity out there, it's apparently, and uh, it's a bummer. I mean, if you're one of the people benefiting from it, I guess, uh, I guess it's not the big, it's not a big, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But apparently, yeah. if you're on the other side, it's not that great. So that's, that's some, what I've heard. Something to pay attention to. I don't know. Yeah, there's not a lot of gender inequity in um, baseball analysis solely because there are not many women who want to be involved. Yeah. Um, and if, uh, well, honestly, and, and because to, to bring the discussion full circle, I mean, so much of the the ethos in in baseball analysis, you know, comes from just your your ability to put together good arguments. So the ethos is largely derived from from the logos, if you will, and 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 so it's you know it's less about the name and and, and the credentials is is just the quality of the work. Yeah, but I will say that if there are any women listening to this and they want to write for Fangraphs, I can't guarantee you a spot. I'm not, I don't do the hiring anyway, but I mean, you know, just try it out. You're, you know, try it out. That's, you know, that's yeah. my mess. That's my matches in the tennis tools. But uh, I, it's almost going to be a hundred percent men who are listening to this. Or, 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 or just, or just write for not graphs, right? <laughs> we, yeah, well, I, sure. If, if anyone wants, to, if anyone wants to write for not graphs, submit something too. You know, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. I'm getting, hey, I'm getting paid either way, Nathaniel Stoltz. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Me too. Name. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, hey, this was a pleasant conversation. This is actually, I would say, um, um, relative to what I expected. Um, not because of you personally, just because you know, anytime you meet someone new, you never know how it's going to go. Uh, but this was great. I would say uh, one or two standard deviations uh, above what I expected. Ah, so so we're calling it, a, it we're calling it a seven then. On the twenty to eighty scale. Yeah, it could very well be. Yeah, it could very well be. Well, maybe a, a sixty-five. You know, maybe 65? A sixty-five. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get carried away, Stoltz. Okay. <laughs> is there anyone who's above an eighty? Because I, I guess that's. I guess the idea, right, is that there are very few people who are beyond three standard deviations above whatever the mean is. Yeah. 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 I mean, is is a possibility that, that Billy Hamilton, if we're being honest, has an, has ninety speed? I think you know. I think you could make that argument. I think you know. Uh, 
because I mean, I'm trying to remember, thinking back to intro to statistics, what what exactly four standard deviations above the mean is? Because three is like 99. You're in the 99.7th percentile, right? To have to have 80, so you would have to then be in. But he has it, whatever it is, right? I mean, if anyone has 90 speed, he has to be it right now. No, what about um, uh, what about Billy Burns? What about Billy Burns? <laughs> what about Billy Burns? <laughs> Do you know? Have you ever heard that name? Yeah, I've seen him play. Oh, you've seen Billy Burns play? Okay, because he was a guy who got in the Fringe Five late in the season, and uh, I did a little bit of a comparative study between him and uh, and Hamilton, and he actually, if you sort of normalize the numbers, like he actually um, stole one more base. Um, if you you know uh, one more base than Billy Hamilton in um, in fewer attempts. Yeah, I mean Burns uh, Burns has a lot of speed. I I it's I you know I haven't seen Billy Hamilton live personally, but uh, but my guess is that Burns doesn't have the the same grade of speed as is Billy Hamilton because Burns has the same grade of speed as a lot of the other guys that you know that, that are big base stealers. I see like Micah Johnson is another one who stole stole a ton of bases this year in, in the White Sox system. Mm-hmm. Um, but Burns has a lot of smarts on the bases that he probably, you know, he probably has like seven speed and complements it with, you know, big time base running instincts. And that, that's a, a pretty nice combination to, to have. You don't yeah. always need to, you know, it's, it's like you, you, you don't need an 102 mile an hour fastball if you've got 96 and know where to put it, you know, kind right. of same deal. I guess the thing that's always, the thing that struck me at the time when I was, when I was doing that work was that Burns had been, a 32nd round pick, whereas you know Hamilton had been a second round pick and a top prospect really ever since he'd entered the minors. That seems yeah, like a well, big gap to me. Well, one thing about Burns is that he's uh, he has very very little power. You know, he's he's definitely a, a guy who just is is looking to hit the ball on the ground and scoot. Uh, you know, he's got a really nice plate approach, but it, when you see him play, he's a very physically unimpressive player. Um, and and yeah, I mean, he's just he's just a small guy who kind of squats down in the box, and you know that then you know he you know puts the ball on the ground, and you know he just kind of runs over to first and, 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 uh, and, you know, he's got really good discerning plate judgment and he's just, you know, he's kind of a gamer in that sense. Uh, he's, he's a gamer with speed. Uh, but the, the question with somebody like that is, are pitchers at, at the AAA level, the major league level going to, you know, take advantage of his lack of power and just start pounding uh, the ball in the strike zone and, and kind of take away that, that ability for him to, to work his way on by the walk. Which would dramatically decrease uh, his potential value, but he translated pretty well to Double A, so that that's definitely a, a mark in his favor. Yeah, it's um, a step. It's a step, yeah. Stoltz. All right, we're I, we're done here. This is fantastic, though. I really enjoyed yeah. it. Well, I did too. It's uh, it's a big honor for me to 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 be on here. You know, it's one thing to be part of Fangraphs, but it's another thing to to uh, be deemed worthy of a, a fifty-four minute audio. Conversation. Have we done? Oh yeah, look uh, on, at that. On, on one of the most uh, circulated baseball podcasts, so I, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on. Yeah, I don't think it's that important the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get hey. too excited. Hey, let, let let me let me have have my. Oh yeah, my sure. I don't want to. Right? Yeah, I don't want to take that from you. No, you you <laughs> well listen. You've been. Um, I I feel honored. I think um, impressive stuff, and uh, I would say 
uh, keep doing it uh, because I'll keep reading it. I I will uh, I'll have a piece tomorrow. Oh, who are you writing about then? I'm writing about a right-handed pitcher in the White Sox system named Adam Lopez. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if he's come up on the fringe five at all. No, uh, he hasn't. But uh, that's he I mean, struck why, out. I don't know he what struck I'm out something like thirty something percent of batters in, in A ball this year. And he's oh uh, well, is it if because I don't usually go below A plus. Ah, he, yeah, he was high in, A. He was in low A. Yeah, so uh, so he maybe will be making his way into the. Yeah, I usually I cut off at high A just because I figure. Um, struck I'm, out. 30.7% had a 2.14 FIP. Okay. Yeah. So that's not bad. I mean, you could do worse. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty you good. Do worse. Yeah. Well, so, uh, you know, it's, so it's, people it's should. One of, it's one of these ones where you say, well, these are big numbers, but, uh, you know, what, what exactly is the stuff behind them? He was What's sort the of stuff the, an unknown guy. Uh, well, he's, he's, he's got some, uh, he's got a nice broad arsenal. Uh, well, we'll, uh, have more on that tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, well, tomorrow might be today, depending. When I yeah. when I yeah, uh, posted right. this podcast, but people should get it came out Thursday anyway. That's that's the yeah. Nathaniel Stoltz's post on Adam Lopez. I mean, that's must read. That's appointment appointment reading. Appointment reading. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Well, every Thursday you can you can find uh, me doing some probably extremely lengthy analysis of uh, some prospect in either the Carolina, South Atlantic, or Appalachian leagues on Rotographs. All right. Well, there you go. The yeah. There you go. That's Nathaniel Stoltz, and uh, uh, pleasure to have you on. Uh, look right. forward to having you on again. Um, I'd love to do it. Yeah, thank you, Nathaniel Stoltz. Absolutely. All right, that's uh, Nathaniel Stoltz of Rotographs, and also I think bullpen banter. Is that a fact or no? Uh, yeah, I, I I'm part of bullpen banter. I, I haven't done too much over there, but uh, you know I'm hoping to uh, maybe contribute some to the off-season list there. Yeah. Also, you know, you do you're pursuing a master's degree, so people need to calm yeah. down. Yeah, pursuing a master's degree uh, and and getting ready to apply uh, for PhD programs. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a, lo- right, so a lot people, of my plate. People need to comment. That's the thing. So I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been uh, a, hot, a red hot edition of Fangraphs Audio. 